This is the 101 freeway. You can see it is completely caked over in mud. And the reason why this is completely shut down is because below the freeway is the Ventura River. In just 12 hours yesterday, that river rose 17 feet. 12 hours and 17 feet. Uh, I'm sure it's all fine. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I had a swim here. I'm just scared in case I fall off my chair. Not really. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in rainy Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe for you every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites... Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Your mileage may vary. Welcome (laughs) to another edition of the Bradcast. Glad to have you here with us. And I got to tell you. As uh, as mentioned uh, briefly in our uh, Green News report coming up a little bit later this hour, I have lived in Southern California for over two decades now, going on three, actually. And in those nearly three decades, I have never seen rain come down as heavy and for as long as it was last night when we left the studio to head home. Yes, it was astounding. It was. I, I, I really, I've never seen, the roads were rivers, and, and we don't even live in a particularly flood-prone area. Uh, so it, it's been, you know, kind of terrifying to think how bad things have been for thousands, actually millions, in California as these seemingly unceasing deluges you may have heard about on CNN continue to batter us here in the state. Uh, Let's start here. Relentless rains that started falling on Sunday have now flooded parts of Los Angeles, killing at least 15 people statewide and led to evacuation orders for nearly 50,000 residents across California as rivers continue to rise and mudslide and rockslide fears grow. And they're not just fears. You may have seen some extraordinary footage out there of some of just some of the rock slides and huge boulders that have come down in some places, shutting roads, for example, in <laughs> yes. Malibu. Very, very dangerous, scary stuff. Now, Desi, uh, you included a warning about all 
of this stuff last week, I think it was, in our first Green News report of the new year, as scientists were warning about what was coming. And as California's Governor Gavin Newsom had issued already in advance of what came, uh, issued uh, emergency declarations, uh, you know, of what has become relentless rainfall over much of the state over much of the past week or so. Forecasters uh, have been warning uh, Californians to continue to expect unusual bouts of hail, lightning storms, wind gusts up to 60 miles an hour. I saw another uh, story said uh, gusts up to 70 miles an hour. Well, that is damn near or just below hurricane force winds in some places. that is correct. That's about the equivalent of a Category 1. But, you know, there have been... Which starts, I should note, because I looked this up, at 75 miles per hour on the Saffir-Simpson scale. So that's almost hurricane level. Yeah, and there are actually gusts that have been recorded up to 109 miles per hour, yes, in parts of Northern California. So, yeah, it's it's windy out there, and it's it's just really, it's it's very dangerous. so possible that we will have even tornadoes to go along with the heavy rain for much of Tuesday yeah, and Wednesday. Yeah, and those are pretty rare. They're not, you know, unheard of, I mean, in, in California, but they're, yeah. they are rare. So it is it is pretty bizarre that we're going to actually have some tornadoes in the potential forecast as well. Parts of Ventura, Santa Barbara counties, north, just north of L.A., had already received more than 16 inches of rain by early Tuesday. And yes, there is more on the way. I might not be talking about this so much if there wasn't still more coming. This is not over. This is uh, potentially going on for the next week or so. As noted on our program yesterday, more than 30,000 residents were placed under evacuation orders on Monday in Santa Cruz County, about 70 miles south of San Francisco. That's way up north. This is a very big state and a very big weather system that is just uh, wiping out, moving down, uh, well, just the entire state. As creeks and rivers top their banks, threaten homes, washed away at least one bridge up in Santa Cruz. That, along with the mandatory evacuations you mentioned yesterday as well, of some 10,000 people in Montecito, the Tony Enclave near Santa Barbara, uh, home to stars like Oprah Winfrey, um, Ellen, DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres, who uh, put out an Instagram showing her uh, the creek in her backyard, which never has any water in it at all. She says it's up about nine feet. Yes. That gives you an idea of how bad this rain and unusual this rain is. Now, Montecito, you may recall, saw mudslides that killed nearly uh, two dozen residents in the middle of the night exactly five years ago this week. And they've done a lot of work in response to that disaster since then to try to better manage floodwaters and so forth. But obviously, uh, some of it, no matter what you do, cannot be guarded against, as residents were told to get out of the community immediately on Monday morning. A five-year-old boy was feared dead after the vehicle that he was in was swept away by floodwaters in San Luis Obispo County on the otherwise usually bucolic central coast of California, up in wine country. The authorities called off their search for the boy on Monday because conditions became just too extreme. They plan to resume the search on Tuesday. That does not look good, I'm afraid to say. 
Parts of the 101 freeway were left a muddy mess, as you heard at the top of the show there, flooding uh, amid the flooding in Ventura County. The freeway was washed over by water, caked in mud on Tuesday, had to be completely shut down in the area. The Ventura River, as you heard, is below the freeway. It rose 17 feet in 12 hours on Monday. More than 220,000 customers in California were without electricity on Tuesday morning, according to poweroutage.us. Now, when they say customers, I I actually think one customer is like one household, for example. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. So it's not necessarily 220,000 people. It could be substantively more. It could be a million or more people. If you average four people per home or per customer, and also this includes businesses as well. So it's quite a a bit more than 220,000 people. You'll be shocked to learn that the bulk of the outages are PG&E company, Mm. Pacific Gas and Electric Company customers, according to Power Outage. Uh, Are you surprised about that? I am not surprised at all. I'm only surprised they're still in business, frankly, after the number of people they have killed in this country. And that's not, I mean, in this From uh, their downed power lines causing wildfires. And now they can't even keep the power going because they still haven't buried their power lines, although they say they're going to start doing that, but they want to charge ratepayers more in order to pay for it. You know, at this rate, I think Mother Nature may end up burying them for them. And it's not just me, by the way, saying they've killed people. I mean, this is determined in a court of law that PG&E was responsible for all kinds of deaths because they don't take care of their equipment. It blows over, you know. And causes fires. Yep. PG&E is a California utility company. They said in their statement that there had been more than 100 cloud-to-ground lightning strikes as of 5.30 a.m., Looking ahead, seven more inches of rain could fall in many parts of California over the next several days as yet another, quote, enormous cyclone that is forming off the coast slams areas of northern California and the Pacific Northwest. So pay attention, uh, folks in Oregon and Washington, etc. That's coming on Wednesday, according to the Weather Service. And if you looked at any of these uh, satellite uh, photos, I saw one uh, time lapse uh, satellite photo over the past, I think it was three or four days, you see what looks like literally cyclones, hurricanes that you would see in the Gulf just slamming ashore one after another after another. Dangerously large breaking waves of 20 to 25 feet will be possible along the central and northern coasts of California. Surf could also reach 6 to 15 feet Along some southern California beaches down here uh, into Wednesday, more than a foot of rain, a foot of rain has been recorded across portions of coastal California over the past two days. A few spots in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties received more than 16 inches, according to the National Weather Service. In the last two weeks, two weeks, because this has been going on for a while, parts of California Some parts have received more than 25 inches of rain, with some areas receiving 35 inches of rain or more. More than uh, 4 million people in the southwestern U.S. are now under flood watches today as a a powerful storm continues to uh, to batter California as the state has gone from extreme drought 
to extreme flooding in a matter of days. On Monday, 90% of the state's population was under a flood watch, and we have a very big population. California Lieutenant Governor Elanie Kunalakis is asking residents to stay alert as the Golden State continues to face these battering rainstorms. She said, quote, we have had five atmospheric rivers coming into California over two weeks. Everything is wet. Everything is saturated. Everything is at a breaking point, And there is more rain coming, she noted. So. Uh, an atmospheric river. This is a term that's come up uh, quite a bit, uh, well, in recent years, but certainly over the past week or two. Can can you explain what, what they mean by atmospheric river? Sure. That's a part of the atmosphere. It's uh, not the highest part, not the lowest part where we live. It's sort of in the middle area, and mm-hmm. there's all this moisture and heat content building up in the Pacific Ocean. And at one point, the Pacific Ocean just decides to burp out all that heat and moisture, <laughs> and that basically creates this narrow band mm-hmm. of the atmosphere that is just laden with water vapor and it is it is like a river in the sky and it's it's hard to quantify over the radio just how how much moisture these things carry yeah. so it helps to see a graphic of it but it is like you know a mississippi river that just goes like 100 <laughs> mississippi rivers and just keeps falling like a fire from the hose. sky yeah kind yeah. of like that the lieutenant governor encouraged everyone to stay vigilant she said every corner of the state is touched by these extreme events uh, she cited the climate crisis as causing some some of this extreme weather, noting Governor Newsom declared a state of emergency and first responders were working overtime. But she added, this is just a big task. It's hard, she said, to be prepared for something this extreme. And again, one weather event on top of another the last two weeks and looking at another week or more of rain. Now, on that extreme drought matter she mentioned, I've seen uh, some folks complain in recent days, sort of justifiably over the past week or so, about how much of this water falling in the middle of a years-long drought is now simply flowing out into the ocean and not being captured for use in what had been, and actually, according to scientists, still will be, even after this is done, a a water-starved state right now. And and that's a justifiable criticism, uh, even as the state has spent billions in recent years to upgrade its uh, its reservoir systems. Yeah, and has built more. But there is another side to that, and that is that, uh, as I understand it, the fresh water being swept out to sea and not captured is actually also important. It helps to flush out pollutants from our systems. It adds important nutrients into the ocean. Uh, which relies on that kind of river water. Is that your understanding yeah. as well? It's called the hydrological cycle. And oh, excuse me. And the whole me. planet yeah. has, you know, it relies on this process where water falls from the sky, uh, goes down through the mountains, and comes out the rivers into the ocean, and actually has a whole cycle that helps the, the different ecosystems to survive. And specifically in California, these rivers support the billion-dollar salmon fisheries mm. that are in, in California. Yeah. So this water is actually necessary to restore salmon runs for this year, but we'll see how long it lasts. CNN's Rachel Ramirez reports that California has always been known for its Mediterranean climate, dry summers, wet winters that prime the landscape for a strong agricultural economy, renowned wineries, and perfect weather for tourists from around the country. 
Boy, do I feel terrible for some of the tourists <laughs> who came here. They I wanted know. to escape the winter weather. Hey, sorry, let's guys. go to Hollywood in the in January. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, but climate scientists say these same factors also make California vulnerable to extreme changes in climate and weather patterns, causing them to swing like a pendulum from drought to floods, a sort of weather whiplash. Human cause climate change is not just increasingly Increasing the severity of extreme weather around the country, but it's also interrupting the usual patterns and increasing the potential for this weather whiplash, especially in California. The parade of atmospheric river storms currently battering California is all happening against the backdrop of a years-long climate change-fueled mega-drought that has drained the state's reservoirs and triggered water shortages. She reports, while these storms usher in much-needed rainfall and snow to the dried-up state, the parched landscape is less able to absorb all of the rain because it was so dry, causing widespread flooding due to the storm's intensity and their back-to-back nature. A 2018 study in the journal Nature found that These huge swings in weather could occur twice as frequently in the future, with the most frequent swings in Southern California. Lucky us. Extremely wet years are expected to become two and a half times more likely by the end of the century, according to researchers, and extremely dry years will occur up to 140% more frequently. It's the extreme swings. That's what climate change does. It doesn't, it doesn't cause the weather event necessarily. What it does is makes it more intense. Another issue worth noting here, uh, trees. Stressed by drought, whipped by wind, and weakened by, uh, at the roots by relentless rain and flooding, trees tall and short, ancient and young in mountain preserves and suburban yards have been toppling across California, this week in breathtaking numbers, according to the Times's New York Times's Sean Hubler and Jill Cowan. They reported this last week. This was even before the storms of the past 24 hours or so. They call the fallen trees the most visible sign of a state veering between environmental extremes. If the storm had a theme, they write, it was in the uprooted and broken trees that seemed to blanket the rain-soaked landscape. A loss and a hazard that the director of the state water resources department had warned would be, quote, the signature of this particular event as the downed trees knocked out power lines, shut down roadways, snarled rail service, not to mention they also uh, killed and injured several residents. Fire officials said a redwood, for example, in the Sonoma County community of Occidental crashed into a mobile home, killing a toddler. In Sacramento, which bills itself as the city of trees, the atmospheric rivers claimed nearly 1,000 trees in six days, according to the city's urban forester who called the toll, quote, much more than we've seen in other storms. He estimated that 60 trees fell in one city park alone. Hmm. Because the ground was so dry 
so uh, devastated before these rains fell that when, once it became saturated, there was really nothing to hold these trees up. On the state capitol grounds, a short distance from the spot where Governor Gavin Newsom was being inaugurated for a second term uh, uh, last week, a giant sequoia lay uprooted, felled by the storm uh, storms and surrounded with hazard tape. A retired U.S. Forest Service urban ecologist in Sacramento estimated that that giant sequoia had stood for 80 to 100 years through as many as 18 governors, Mm. watching them be inaugurated until it fell this past week. The toll on the trees is more than ornamental and nostalgic, The Times reports at a critical juncture in adapting to climate change, scientists say that trees are a physical barometer and manifestation of failure and success. In a news conference, the state's water resources uh, director blamed the horticultural devastation on the drought as well as the violent weather. We're moving from extreme drought to extreme flood, she said. What that means is a lot of our trees are stressed. At the same time, weather systems have shifted, have been shifted by climate change. And that's something I recall discussing on this program with climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann uh, several years ago now, asking him, you know, is climate change actually changing our weather patterns? You know, what we have become used to for decades and decades, if not hundreds of years, And I think and he said he was concerned about it and it was something that uh, climate scientists were looking at at the time. And I think he ended up, if I'm remembering, uh, sort of doing a study on that uh, later. Do you remember? Am I I remembering that correctly? And and finding that, yes, indeed, our weather patterns are, in fact, changing because of this. All around the world, they are places where especially, say, in the global south, like in Africa and in Mm -hmm. India, places where they could rely on the monsoon rains Mm. for agriculture. They could rely on the timing for planting and the rains and the harvest to all arrive at generally the same time. That is no longer the case. And it is a similar factor here now um, in the United States. Remember, we saw just earlier this year, the Mississippi River running so low that barge traffic was halted and the farmers trying to ship their goods could not get their goods there. So, Yes, it is changing all kinds of patterns in all kinds of ways that we used to rely on, but we cannot necessarily rely on anymore. Here in California, those changes to the weather systems have amplified wind and precipitation, according to Jeffrey Mount, a senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California's Water Policy Center. Last weekend's storm was very wet, essentially an atmospheric fire hose hanging over California. But this week's bomb cyclone storm, as they call it, brought much more wind, he said. The one-two punch of ever more saturated soil and speeding winds, scientists say, has made it tougher for trees to stay upright. The swings between climate extremes have left even healthy trees more vulnerable. On New Year's Eve, for example, some 15 thriving trees at the University of California Davis Arboretum were uprooted, including a, quote, beautiful, healthy Guadalupe Island cypress that was planted in 1936. The new climate reality, according to Brian Ferguson, a spokesperson for the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services, has meant that disasters intertwine and compound one another. 
In other words, these are only going to get worse. One disaster feeds into another. Indeed. Drought, and- drought worsens and lengthens fire seasons. Global warming intensifies heat waves. Precipitation that can no longer fall as snow now lands as a deluge. And flora and fauna strain to survive the ecological disruption. I'm not a scientist, said Mr. Ferguson, just a dad with two eyes and a brain. <laughs> but it's so clear the world is changing around us, he said. Yes, it is. And our infrastructure is definitely not ready for it. I think uh, California is discovering that with all the work that's already been done to be prepared for these kinds of changes in our rainfall patterns and these massive storms, even with all that work, it is still not enough. And uh, we should also make sure that people know that these storms are not going to stop at the California border. They're going to continue moving eastward. So, Get ready, folks. you got some extreme weather coming your way. And you might also want to check your local county and your state and make sure that your politicians and officials are preparing for these extreme weather disasters. Now, uh, as to this uh, this guy's remarks, uh, you know, he's just a dad with two eyes and a brain, but he can see the world changing. Uh, apparently that, uh, you know, other people with two eyes and a brain... It doesn't seem to make much of a difference to uh, to many of them, to many of those folks in this country. And if it doesn't, well, maybe perhaps money will. The U.S. was lashed by 18 catastrophic extreme weather and climate disasters, costing at least $1 billion each last year. This according to a new report from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They uh, came, these disasters came in the form of tornadoes, extreme heat and cold, deadly flooding and hurricanes and a climate change fueled drought in the West. So, Des, you're absolutely right. For some reason, all of this does not stop at the California border. No. When taken together, the country's so-called billion dollar disasters inflicted at least, get this, $165 billion in damage last year. Last year alone, that surpassed 2021 disasters in cost, and it caused, by the way, at least 474 deaths, according to NOAA. Over the last seven years, 122 separate billion-dollar disasters, again, meaning disasters that have cost at least a billion dollars in damage, Over the last seven years, 122 separate such disasters have killed at least 5,000 people in the U.S. and cost the nation more than $1 trillion in damages. Trillion, with a T. Hurricane Ian, the Category 4 storm that left a trail of devastation across the Caribbean and Florida, that carried the highest economic toll, $113 billion alone along with the death toll of 152 people. The second costliest disaster was one that you, I think, referred to, Des, the uh, blistering summer heat wave and historic drought, which spread from the west to the Mississippi River. That totaled about more than $22 billion in damage. Five of the past six years, with the exception of 2019, have seen disasters exceed the $100 billion mark, a signal that extreme weather events are becoming more costly and destructive as climate change accelerates. 
Adam Smith of NOAA, who led the report, said, we're talking big money here, and it's consistent. This is another trend where the cost and the impacts are quite large, he said, and so we need to think about how to better mitigate future damages because we know these extremes will continue to happen. So I'm uh, that also was from uh, CNN, and I am happy to uh, to see these reports from CNN, from The New York Times, AP. But, uh, you know, we have been doing our Green News reports now for what, about almost 15 years? Yes. And for the first decade or so, there was virtually zero coverage of these weather issues that would tie them to the real problem here, the climate crisis. And I'm seeing more outlets do that now. Uh, they're still not great, but I got to say, at least to my uh, two eyes and a brain, it's leaps and bounds above what it was when we started 15 years ago. And it often felt like at the time we were the only <laughs> broadcast outlet out yes. there who was connecting the dots of these disasters to climate change. It was wildly frustrating and also very disturbing that nobody else was really making these connections, that the scientists were screaming from the rooftops yep. at the tops of their lungs yep. saying, please pay attention to this. It still is frustrating because there's yes. still not enough people listening. But I tell you, in that first 10 years, it was like, are we crazy or something? Are we the <laughs> only ones who can see this? I can tell you uh, that through most of those 15 years covering climate and the environment on the GNR, we have also heard over and over and over again from the defenders of the climate crisis, the supporters of the big fossil fuel industry, which are causing this crisis, that even if it is occurring, well, we just simply don't have the money that would be required to fix it, to do anything about it. But imagine, imagine if that more than $1 trillion that these issues have now cost the U.S. over the past seven years alone, $1 trillion. Since 2015, $1 trillion. Imagine if that had been spent let's say a decade ago, you know, two or three years into the GNR, into the Green News report, if that had been spent to mitigate these matters instead. Obviously, we wouldn't have stopped them all, and that is the problem with carbon pollution in our atmosphere. It takes uh, years, decades, centuries, millennia in some cases, to, to flush out of the atmosphere. But we could have made a dent. We could have lessened it, and we could have increased our mitigation against it. Joe Biden and the Democrats, without one single Republican in support last year, allocated about $370 billion to uh, go out over the next 10 years to climate issues. And that was huge news because it was the single largest investment by any country ever to help mitigate the climate crisis. But even that was a fraction, a fraction of what the cost has been in blood and treasure over just the past seven years in the U.S. Seven years, a trillion dollars in damage. And the best we've been able to come up with, $370 billion to be spent over the next 10 years. Meanwhile... Republicans took over the U.S. House last week, and their new leader, Kev McCarthy, gave a, I don't know, a half hour or so speech in the middle of the night, his accept, accept, acceptance speech. 
in which he did not once mention the climate issue. But he did have time to pretend that the FBI was somehow being weaponized to, uh, to be used against the American people. And Republicans are now in the process of setting up a select House committee with the same budget, by the way, as the January 6th committee had in order to investigate that nonsense of the federal government being weaponized against the American people. Meanwhile, at the same time, the Republicans are also pledging to slash climate spending and increase spending on the stuff that's causing it, the fossil fuels, even as these disasters get worse and worse. And yes, more expensive, but they don't care, of course, because their benefactors in the oil and gas industry make they make money whether the use of their product causes unprecedented death and destruction and disaster or not. They don't care. These Republicans pretend to be looking out for the American people while, in fact, they could not give a damn about the American people. And that is true even as uh, some of the hardest hit states, Florida, Texas, Louisiana, are run by Republicans whose entire you know, livelihood is, is, is pegged to the deadly fossil fuel industry, these politicians in those states. It's amazing. Is anyone going to do anything about it? Well, I was going to say let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some politics news. And then I, I think I just realized we've been doing politics news uh, <laughs> for the past 30 minutes or so. In the guise of weather and climate news, uh, if anyone wishes to notice. Anyway, quick break, and we're back with uh, politics and accountability news. There you go. Fixed it. Right here on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via bradblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Well, a little, maybe. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Alan Weisselberg, the longtime executive for Donald Trump's business empire, was taken into custody on Tuesday to begin serving a five-month jail term for dodging taxes on $1.7 million in job perks, a punishment that the judge who sentenced him said was probably too lenient, and I would probably agree. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. Now, do you think if you walked into some uh, business anywhere and you stole, oh, I don't know, five or $10,000 out of the cash register that you'd only spend five months in jail? 
This guy stole $1.7 million. In any event, it is something, I guess, and there is a reason, good or bad, I'll leave that to you, that he received this short jail term. 75-year-old Weiselberg uh, was promised that sentence back in August when he agreed to plead guilty to 15 tax crimes. 15 of them. So that's less than a week in jail or something like that. I can't do them. About a week or two in jail for each of those tax crimes. Uh, and he agreed to be a witness against the Trump organization where he's worked since the mid-80s. His testimony helped convict the former president's company where he had served as chief financial officer, helped convict the company of tax fraud. But when he made the sentence official on Tuesday, Judge Juan Manuel Marchand said that after listening to Weisselberg's testimony during the trial, he regretted that the penalty wasn't tougher. Mm. He said he was especially appalled by testimony that Weiselberg gave his wife a $6,000 check for a no-show job so that she could qualify for Social Security benefits got to be nice, huh? Had he not already promised to give Weiselberg five months, the judge said, quote, I would be imposing a sentence much greater than that. He said, I'm not going to deviate from the promise, though I believe a stiffer sentence is warranted having heard the evidence. Weiselberg, who came to court dressed casually for jail rather than in his usual suit, was then handcuffed and taken into custody Moments after the sentence was announced, he was expected to be taken to New York City's notorious Rikers Island jail complex. He'll be eligible for release after just a little more than three months if he behaves behind bars. As part of the plea agreement, Weiselberg had also been required to pay nearly $2 million in back taxes and penalties and interest, which he has paid. As of January 3, so I guess if he was able to pay that much that quickly, well, that tells me that 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 tells me that that was not much of a penalty either, frankly. Also, the judge ordered Weiselberg to complete five years of probation after his jail term is finished. His defense lawyer asked the judge for a lighter sentence than the one in the plea bargain, <laughs> wow. saying, quote, well, you know, it's his job, saying, quote, he has already been punished tremendously by the disgrace that he has brought not only on himself but his wife his sons and his grandchildren oh, whatever weiselberg faced the prospect of up to 15 15 years in prison that would be the maximum punishment for the top grand larceny charge if he were to have reneged on the deal or if he didn't testify truthfully at the trump organization's trial He's the only person charged in the Manhattan District Attorney's three-year investigation of Trump and his business practices, at least so far. Weiselberg has worked for Trump's family for nearly 50 years, starting as an accountant for uh, Trump's father, Fred, back in 1973. Weiselberg told jurors he betrayed the fam Trump family's trust by conspiring with a subordinate to hide more than a decade's worth of extras from his income, including a free Manhattan apartment, luxury cars, his grandchildren's private school tuition. He said they fudged payroll records and issued falsified W-2 forms. Prosecutors said other Trump Organization executives also accepted off-the-books compensation. Really? Well, why weren't they held accountable? The Trump Organization itself is uh, was found guilty as well it is 
not they, but it is scheduled to be sentenced on Friday. They face up to, it faces up to $1.6 million, which also ain't much, obviously. Weiselberg testified that neither Trump nor his family knew about the scheme as it was <laughs> happening. Weisberg choked up uh, as he told jurors, quote, it was my own personal greed that led to this. However, prosecutors in their closing arguments said that Trump knew, quote, knew exactly what was going on and that evidence such as a lease he signed for Weiselberg's apartment made clear, quote, Mr. Trump is explicitly sanctioning tax fraud. Cool. Then where is the case against Mr. Trump, boys? Coming soon? I'll wait. Weiselberg said the Trumps remained loyal to him, even as the company scrambled to end some of its dubious pay practices following Trump's 2016 election. Uh, he said Trump's eldest sons entrusted to run the company while Trump was president gave him a $200,000 raise after an internal audit found that he had been reducing his salary and bonuses by the costs of the unlawful perks. Cool. Where are the indictments for Eric and Don Jr.? Meanwhile, though he is now on a leave of absence, the company continues to pay Alan <laughs> Weisselberg $640,000 in salary and half a million dollars in holiday bonuses. Yep, they're so upset that he embezzled from them that they're keeping him on and giving him bonuses. Sure, that checks out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, by the way, even celebrated his 75th birthday at Trump Tower with a cake and colleagues just last August, just hours after finalizing the plea agreement that ushered his, quote, transformation from loyal executive to prosecution witness. Anyway, don't worry. Trump's day is coming. I am now more certain of that than ever, even if it may not come from the Manhattan District Attorney, Al, uh, Alvin Bragg, who has so far let Trump himself off the hook. Now, that could still change. Bragg's office claims that the investigation is ongoing into Donald Trump. We will see if uh, anything comes from that. Meanwhile, speaking of Trump investigations, and there are many of them, here's a twist that popped up last night as we were on air. The Justice Department is reviewing what the White House describes as, quote, a small number, unquote, of potentially classified documents found in the Washington office space of President Joe Biden's former institute. According to the White House on Monday, special counsel to the president, Richard Sauber, said, quote, a small number of documents with classified markings were discovered as Biden's personal attorneys were clearing out the offices of the Penn Biden Center, where the current president kept an office after he left the vice presidency back in 2017. The documents were found on November 2 of last year in a, quote, locked closet in the office, according to Sauber, CNN is reporting today that there were 10 documents found uh, in total in three or four boxes, 10 classified, I guess, documents mixed in with family documents, which comprise the vast majority of the items in that office, including materials about Bo Biden's funeral, uh, funeral arrangements and condolence letters. Sauber said the attorneys immediately alerted the White House Counsel's Office, who notified the National Archives and Records Administration. Or like within NARA. a few hours. 
they took custody of the documents the very next day. Mm-hmm. After making contact with Naira, Biden's team turned over several boxes in an abundance of caution, even though many of the boxes contained personal materials, according to a CNN source. Sauber said, and uh, see if anything uh, sounds different here to you from any other presidents discovered to have classified documents in their possession, actually in their personal possession. Sauber said, quote, since that discovery, the president's personal attorneys have cooperated with the archives and the Department of Justice in a process to ensure that any Obama-Biden administration records are appropriately in the possession of the archives. Does that sound different than anyone else you may have heard? person familiar with the matter, according to AP, said Attorney General Merrick Garland asked U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, John Lausch, to review the matter. That's good, especially since Lausch is one of the few U.S. attorneys uh, who is a holdover from the uh, from former President Donald Trump's administration. So it's a Trump uh, uh, U.S. attorney who will look into this matter. That's good. <laughs> for his part, Trump weighed in on Monday on his <laughs> social media site asking, quote, when is the FBI going to raid the many homes of Joe Biden, perhaps even the White House? Excellent question, Mr. Disgraced former president. Perhaps they will raid one of his homes. Oh, I don't know. A year or so from now, if it is discovered that he has been withholding classified documents and lying to federal law enforcement officials about them after he receives a friendly subpoena to turn over whatever other classified documents that he has stored somewhere unlawfully, which at least as far as anybody seems to know right now appears to be zero other classified documents. Congressman James Comer, the new Republican chair of the House Oversight Committee, said on Monday that the revelations raised questions about the Justice Department's handling of the Trump probe. Really? Is the White House going to be raided tonight? Comer asked. Are they going to raid the Bidens? He asked reporters. Of course, why would they? Is there evidence, as there was in the Trump case, presented to a federal judge that an ongoing crime is underway and that Joe Biden is currently secretly and unlawfully keeping secret documents somewhere so that they have to get a federal warrant in order to stop that crime from continuing? If so, I really hope they do raid the Bidens. But since actual evidence of ongoing lawbreaking is required to obtain such a federal search warrant, as in the Trump case, I doubt that there will be any raid of the Bidens and certainly not of the White House, where such documents are kept legally by a sitting president uh, who is not, by the way, Donald Trump. Comer said, this is further concern that there's a two-tier justice system within the <laughs> DOJ with how they treat Republicans versus Democrats. Certainly how they treat the former president versus the current president, which is true. There was evidence compiled by a special counsel over more than a year that the former president had while serving as president actually obstructed a law enforcement investigation on at least 10 different instances, punishable by up to 10 years in each of those 10 instances. And those were never prosecuted by the Department of Justice, even after that former president was out of office. So, yeah, definitely 
a two-tier justice system. So just to uh, review here, in uh, Joe Biden's case, at least what we know so far, 10 total documents, some of which were top secret. Compare that to Donald Trump, who had at least 325 total documents, 60 of them top secret. Joe Biden is cooperating with law enforcement officials. Donald Trump is under investigation for obstructing law enforcement officials. In Joe Biden's case, reportedly, his lawyers found the documents and alerted the archives right away. In Donald Trump's case, the archives first reached out to Donald Trump's lawyers and begged him in various ways for the better part of a year, including a subpoena in order to try to get those documents back. And the former president lied over and over again, keeping more and more documents even though he kept saying he was returning them all. Comer's uh, Democratic counterpart on the House Oversight Committee happens to be Jamie Raskin, congressman. He said that uh, Biden's attorneys, quote, appeared to have taken immediate and proper action to ensure the careful review of the circumstances surrounding the possession and discovery of these documents and to make an impartial decision about any further action that may be needed. Meanwhile, the Justice Department for months has been investigating the retention of roughly 300 documents comprising thousands of pages that were marked as classified and were recovered from the Trump home in Florida after months of quiet attempts to have the former president give them back to the National Archives and in that instance, uh, prosecutors say representatives of Trump repeatedly resisted their request to give back all of the classified documents. They lied to federal officials about them being in Trump's pos uh, possession and failed to comply with the subpoena seeking their return. FBI agents in August, more than a year after he left office and the government's first attempts to get them back, finally served a search warrant approved by a federal judge at Mar-a-Lago, removing 15 boxes of records. Prosecutors have interviewed an array of Trump associates and have been using a grand jury to hear evidence in an investigation now being led by special counsel Jack Smith. It's not clear when or if a decision will be made on whether Trump or anyone else should be charged in that matter. So I wish I had uh, more hard answers for you on those questions on when or if Donald Trump would be charged in that matter or any of the other ones. I don't have the hard answers, but I do remain bullish that Trump will, in fact, face his day eventually or or as I believe I've noted, he will die suddenly a la Enron's Kenley first. But I hope not. Desi Doyen joins us next for the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Let's get to it before the next 
atmospheric river <laughs> begins to fall from the skies. Yes. Our latest Green News report. After a week of wicked winter weather all across California, the destruction will likely exceed the billions. California slammed by another round of extreme downpours. We've seen people who have lost just about everything as a result of this one in 100 year flood. Australia hit by unprecedented flooding as hundreds airlifted to safety. Plus, a study says more than 15% of childhood asthma cases can be attributed to gas stove usage. Natural gas-fired stoves in U.S. homes are a significant cause of childhood asthma. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's said to be the state of Western Australia's worst ever flooding event, causing swathes of land to become an inland ocean. Did she say swathes of land? Yes, she did. Crikey, Australians are weird. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, for all of the years that I have lived in California, now over two decades, I have never seen rain like we have seen over the past 24 hours here in Southern California. Yep, evacuations are underway in parts of California, which is being inundated by another round of major atmospheric river storms in what the National Weather Service warns is, quote, a relentless parade of cyclones from the Pacific Ocean bringing torrential rain, flash floods, and mudslides to the West Coast. Mm. President Biden signed an emergency declaration for 12 California counties to help with storm response and recovery on Monday. In parts of central California, eight inches of rain fell in just 12 hours, prompting the evacuation of the entire town of Montecito near Santa Barbara on the fifth anniversary of the deadly mudslides that killed 23 people. In Sacramento, the state's capital, more than half a million customers lost power over the weekend from the storm's hurricane force wind gusts. Mm. At least 14 deaths are attributed to the storms as we go to air. More intense rain is forecast for several more days. The dramatic swings between extreme drought and extreme rains are in line with climate scientists' predictions for man-made global warming, although the rain is helping to refill California's reservoirs. Yeah, I thought we were in a drought that hadn't been seen in hundreds of years in California. I guess that's over. No, sadly, it's not. It's going to take years of this to recover. I don't think we'll make it through years of this. In Australia, a remote northwestern region of the outback has been hit by one-in-a-hundred-year floods that demolished infrastructure and required military airlifts to evacuate residents. The floods were triggered by an intense tropical cyclone that brought a year's worth of rain in a matter of days to some areas. Australia's Prime Minister Anthony Albanese issued an emergency declaration warning recovery will take time. We've seen massive infrastructure damage. We've seen people who have lost just about everything as a result of this one in 100 year flood that will take some time to repair. This is unprecedented. There's a lot of unprecedented weather all of a sudden all across the globe, ain't there? 
It's the opposite problem in Utah, where a new study warns the iconic Great Salt Lake is on track to disappear within five years. The researchers say immediate action is necessary to reduce water usage and conserve what remains of the lake amid historic drought plaguing the U.S. West. They say the state is using too much of the water that once used to replenish the lake, primarily diverted for agriculture. In other news, the Consumer Product Safety Commission is weighing whether to set new standards on indoor air pollution from natural gas-fired stoves. That's in the wake of a new study linking natural gas-fired stoves to much higher rates of childhood asthma. The research found one in eight cases of childhood asthma in the U.S. can be attributed to kids living in houses with gas stoves, that is 650,000 children. The study confirms previous research finding gas stoves emit toxic chemicals chemicals and carcinogens equal to living in a house with secondhand cigarette smoke, even when the appliances are turned off. And we're just talking about regular kitchen stoves here, right? Yep. Electric stoves are better. Yes. Mother Jones Magazine recently reported that the natural gas lobby is using shady PR tactics to protect its profits and block cities from phasing out natural gas in new buildings. How unlike them. And finally, some important good news. Efforts to repair the ozone layer in the atmosphere are succeeding, according to a new United Nations study. The ozone layer protects all life on Earth from the sun's radiation, so it is kind of important. Under the Montreal Protocol of 1987, the first ever global climate treaty, nations agreed to phase out chemicals that destroy the ozone layer. The new study concludes now that China has cracked down on rogue emitters, full recovery of the ozone layer could be complete with Within a few decades. Ah, 1987, when the world used to be able to come together to save itself. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Seems it never rains in I have too. Thank you very much, <laughs> Desi Doyen, our producer. But it pours. And man, it pours. Man, it pours. Uh, <laughs> my thanks also to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at brandblog.com. No paywall there made uh, possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on your public airwaves. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons, you will find me simply at the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1885. That was the day that Toynbee Hall, the first university settlement house, opened its doors to the poor and working class communities of East London. The Industrial Revolution had created a new set of social conditions, those of high unemployment and slum housing, crime and infant mortality. The Vicar of St. Jude's, 
Canon Samuel Barnett and his wife Henrietta hoped to combat poverty by having students settle in with the poor and working class to provide services and fight for social reforms. They named the settlement house in honor of their friend, economist and labor leader Arnold Toynbee, who helped to organize trade unions and establish public libraries throughout East London. In its early days, Toynbee Hall championed the rights of minority immigrants, including Jews and the Irish, developed adult education and language courses, evaluated industrial working conditions, and provided free legal advice. More aligned with liberal rather than labor politics in Britain, reformers at Toynbee Hall looked to build the health of the nation by fighting for welfare reform legislation. It became a public forum for political debates and historical societies and blazed the path for the rise of the settlement house movement in Britain and the United States. Three years after its opening, Jane Addams would open Chicago's famed Hull House. Other settlement houses, like the Henry Street Settlement in New York City, founded by Lillian Wald, would soon follow. Though bombed in the Nazi Blitzkrieg in 1940, Toynbee Hall continues its vision of a future free from poverty and its mission to support people and communities to break down the barriers that trap them in poverty in a bold, engaged, and open environment to this day. Labor History in Two, brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show.